Hello and welcome to Care Insights with the Outstanding Society, the podcast channel created by the Outstanding Society to share and celebrate best practice whilst raising the profile of the social care sector. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company and membership is free to all, not just those who have achieved an outstanding rating. If you would like to join, please visit our website or follow the links in this episode. Preceptorship. What is it and what are the benefits? Zoe talks to Rachel Alty and Caroline Kosh. Today we'll be talking about mentorship and preceptorship and we're joined by Rachel and Caroline. Rachel, can I first come across to you and ask you to introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. So, hi, my name is Rachel Alty. I am the Northwest Regional Perceptorship Lead with the National Perceptorship Programme for Nursing. Um, I also work in an organisation, um, an NHS organisation, as Head of Professional Practice as well, based within the Northwest. And I'm here just to share the perceptorship magic that is, you know, integrating our lovely early career professionals into organisations and here to talk about the benefits within within social care settings as well so thank you so much for having me Zoe. Fantastic thank you and Caroline could I ask you to introduce yourself please. Thank you Zoe so I'm Caroline Kosh and I'm managing director from Clifton Home Care and non-exec director at the Outstanding Society. Fantastic and and Caroline if I can stay with you for a minute what is mentoring and what is preceptorship and what does it mean to adult social care? Okay, so official terminology, I'm going to leave to Rachel um, because Rachel, I'm sure, will correct me and put it probably better than I could. But mentorship is, from my point of view, um, what we've embedded in our social care organisation And it's a a process whereby any staff member, not just new starters, are supported in their job role, whether that be for development purposes, whether that be for confidence, um, whether it's the transitioning from maybe residential into domiciliary care work, which can be quite different for them. So it's it's a formal programme whereby our staff team are offered additional support to formal training and development in order to support them in in their needs as they feel um, necessary because it is employee uh, led not employer led Um, so we have a formal program that that we utilize for this fantastic and if i come come over to you rachel to give to give your your version of, of what it's all about absolutely can i just say what a fantastic offering there caroline for staff that sounds absolutely amazing so uh starting with mentorship so done quite a lot of work within this sphere around coaching and mentorship and really passionate about them um so mentorship for me is all about aligning um a mentor who is that lovely rich experience that knowledge within an area where a mentee wants to gain knowledge and experience so it's about 
cascading all of those lovely knowledge, skills, experience, hints and tips, advice from that mentor onto that mentee. Um, and we do it really, really well um, within healthcare. But I think we focus a lot of the time on more senior levels. And I think we need to bring it more to grassroots level and, and making sure that our, our early career professionals who are, are entering organisations are getting that exposure to those with lots of you know, experience and knowledge within that setting, within that organisation, because we have a wealth of experience across social care, people who've done this for long periods of time and I think they get a lot back from, you know, sharing their knowledge and wisdom with this next generation coming in as well. So mentorship is, is, is a great tool to use in relation to preceptorship. So, you know, the purpose of preceptorship is to provide support, guidance and development for all newly registered practitioners. And that's to help them build confidence and to develop further competence as they may transition from a student into an autonomous professional. But this term preceptorship now is, is kind of getting wider and further reaching. So a lot of people may be utilizing these preceptorship principles to support healthcare support workers within two organizations or within the sector as well to provide them with that, that lovely wraparound holistic support and development to help them you know, to align with that organization or with that sector as well. And we're also seeing it being utilised in other professions as well. So at the moment, we're looking at how can that support people into academic roles as well. So, you know, that that preceptorship is just about those early integrations within to that workforce. And again, utilising that, as I know uh, Caroline's been doing, you know, with our international recruits as well and welcoming them into the UK and, you know, sharing that sort of experience with them too. Fantastic. Thank you. That that's that's a great summary of, of what mentorship and preceptorship is all about. And if I can come back over to you, Caroline. So so what does that actually look like in practice for your organization? Yeah, I just want to pick up on that. That's why I left the um explanation <laughs> to Rachel because I knew she would do it far greater justice than I ever could. Um, I can talk from a, a practical point of view in terms of what we've implemented in our workplace um, and, and, and what that's meant to our staff team and, and equally um, the business and the team as a whole. Um, so we have in our team, we have a lead mentor um, who has worked incredibly hard with me and um, uh very much self-led a lot of the work you know I have to give her credit for that um, in terms of developing our program and our resources so we have a handbook that the mentor is given and the mentee is given the mentors understand obviously that the, the handbook um, there's some formal aspects to it so they look at SWOT analysis for example looking at that individual's strengths um, areas for development um, I think is a better term than weaknesses but opportunities and threats for them in, in in their job role and looking at like Rachel said in terms of formal development um, and, and gaining qualifications um, but it just sets the, the boundaries um, in terms of the relationship um, and, and what's expected from each party we set that up um, either during or shortly after induction um, for all new starters and Again, it, it's employee-led because not everybody may feel ready for mentorship. And I know one of our um, upskilling or upcoming mentors 
she herself didn't feel that she necessarily needed this at the start, but then had a little bit of a wobble, um, sort of two to three months in, and, and went straight back to the mentor and said, right, I'm ready for this session. Um, the, the session helped her sort of look at um, the situation that caused her confidence to drop um, through no fault of her own. Um, and, and now then she um, regained her confidence, got back into her, her role, which she carries out really effectively. And since then has, has started her mentorship um, development. So we've got a team of mentors that, that work under the lead mentor in our organization. And it's offered to all our staff team, um, regardless of, of their job role, of, of their level. Um, I, I do feel it, it's had a huge impact on, on health and well-being as well. Um, you know, that's a big thing that we, we do within the organisation. Um, and we really look at how, how we can support them in, in, in their development again. But, but to gain that work-life balance, which I think in social care, we've always struggled a little bit to achieve. So it goes far wider than just the workplace. And, and like Rachel said, in terms of international recruitment, this is a fabulous programme that supports our overseas recruits who are new to the country, new to the job. Um, they may well have carried out job roles abroad or in, in their own country, but um, this is very different uh, when they joined join our organisations in the UK. But also from a, from a culture, um, spiritual, religious point of view, what support can be provided in the local area, signposting them as necessary. And I just just one final point, and then I'll, I'll stop. But I think when we started with mentorship um, was really during a, a period of reflection for me. And I think we do very well at induction, very well at training our staff team. And I think historically we have done. But really once they're trained as such and, and they're outshadowing and then they maybe form part of a double up run in, in the community settings and then they may go out on, on some visits on their own they really or they were at the time out there on their own at that point until we pick them back up again for a review and the mentorship really helps um bridge that gap and, and provide that support where otherwise there could be a little bit of a lump um meaning some people may leave the social care sector altogether that's brilliant. Thanks for sharing that, Caroline. And I heard you say a lot about confidence there and and people can can maybe dip in and dip out of it. Um, and, and at a stage they can they can come back or they identify there and there's a need. Do you think either one of you that there's a lack of understanding around what it actually is out there? I'm not. Yeah, aware I'll, I'll go on, Rachel. Go on. Well, I'll just say something quickly and then and then you jump in. I think, Rachel, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the terminology mentorship, I think slightly softer, or I certainly feel personally it's slightly softer than perception, but I still think the very formal titles, aren't they? Mentor, mentee, preceptor, perceptee. And I think that doesn't help us, does it? No, no. Um, and the, there is a bit of a when you kind of reflect on that back to me, there's a, there is a bit of a power difference or a, a difference in maybe position um, with that mentor-mentee relationship. And I think there is absolutely a misunderstanding about 
what it does and what it doesn't do. And I think when we start to integrate other terminologies like coaching or supervision, those parameters start to blend. And I think for me, preceptorship is that initial period, that initial welcome on your integration into either you know, working within the NHS as an international recruit. Um, it could be as a newly qualified member staffer. It could be someone new to that, that sector or that, that role. And it's that initial 12-month period of support and development. And then what we mean by that support development, it might then be delivered by a mentoring approach, a coaching approach, and a supervision approach. So these are approaches or tools that someone will use to support that, you know, newly qualified individual or that person new within that sector. We will use those tools then to support that initial 12 months of that journey within the organization. So that mentoring role can really provide more of a long-term support so that my person might be throughout the whole of the 12 months, might even be longer than that, depending on the purpose and the needs of mentorship. And that really needs to be defined right at the very start. But I think when we do mentorship right, the mentee gets a lot. They get to gleam all this knowledge and experience from this more experienced individual. But also the mentor gets a lot. And, you know, we've we've got a new term integrated within within the NHS, which calls legacy mentors. And they're getting a lot back because they're wanting to share these experiences and, and be involved in, in people's learning and development journeys. Um, so it's about utilizing that approach within the preceptorship period along the lines of using coaching and supervision as well. Fantastic. Thank you. And and you said a couple of things there. I, you know, I don't know whether whether there, there is a bit around the language and and the seniority that is linked to mentorship and preceptorship. One thing that springs to mind for me, preceptorship is especially important in maybe student nurses who are just qualifying as a trained nurse coming out to social care or within the NHS. Is that a classic example of where you would see preceptorship working well? Yes, absolutely. I think that's the traditional mechanism that was used to support um, professionals into practice. Um, I think within social care, some of the anecdotal feedback that I'm getting is it's not necessarily utilised perception and social care for those newly qualified practitioners. It is a go-to mechanism of support and development, and it's usually very structured. It's usually detailed out so the individual knows what to expect when they're entering that sector or that organisation. But I think what how socialized could utilize preceptorship is for those new to sector. So those who may be leaving, you know, primary care, who may be leaving secondary care or coming into social care for a different type of role. They'll have skills that are great within an NHS setting, but there, there, there will be some knowledge gap on how things work within the social care setting. You know, it can be an isolated role. It can be one where autonomy will really come to the forefront of your practice. Um, how you navigate caring for someone in their environment, not the environment that you're in control of is, a, is another shift. So there's, there's a lot of support that's needed for those who have a lot of healthcare experience, but are coming into that different sector. I think there's a place for perceptorship for those new to, to social care, whether they're newly qualified or, or just you know, transitioning their career within that sector as well. 
Fantastic. And and I guess it's important to say that it's it's not just for qualified professionals like you know nurses. Yeah. It's for anybody working within social care, within the NHS, whether you're a chef, whether you, you focus on maintenance or, you know, housekeeping. It's for everybody. Would you agree, Caroline? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and just a couple of things to pick up on from, from, from what Rachel was saying. Um, I think it, it's important to say and acknowledge that, let's face it, to anybody listening to this podcast, we've always provided mentorship in social care. If you yes. think about it, we've always supported um, sort of on the job shadowing um, sort of that initial period where people start, you buddy them up with somebody else. Um, we've always done it and this is just a, a formal process as such that we're talking about yeah. sort of enveloping that making sure that we're, we're meeting all those needs that we're documenting it um, and, and that we follow that through looking at that longer term development because you know in social care we are shouting about the careers that are available in this fabulous sector yes. and come and join our sector you know come and join us from external sectors the support is here so i couldn't agree more it, it's for absolutely everybody and we have seen 16 year olds flourish because they have that additional support um we've seen people who have had a, a career external to social care maybe hospitality they they bring across some fabulous transferable skills but it's a new sector there may be you know later years sort of 50s 60s it's all a bit you know sort of an anxious time as such have I made the right decision um, is it too late for me to change career it helps those immensely so it's got no sort of limitation as to the age of the person the seniority of the person the job role of the person all of that's completely irrelevant um I just think, just to, to mention, I think the one thing we just need to make sure we do, and, and I know Rachel will, will probably nod at this, is allocate the time. Because if, you know, we can, we can talk about programmes like this all the time, but unless we allocate time and, and devote that time, and, and for managers, um, for, for purse holders to see the importance of that time and spending and investing in that time, than, than the programme really is, is a non-starter from, from, from the word go. And, and we've embedded that, we, we've supported that. And I can't tell you the, the richness that that's brought us. Um, it, it's just fabulous. And I know, Zoe, you, you're aware, and, um, you know, but we've, we've recently uh, won Employer of the Year, um, a, a local um, uh, business award for Lancashire. Um, and... I can tell you now, mentorship and, and the, the programme that we've embedded was part and parcel of that um, in terms of that award. Fantastic. And a, a huge congratulations, yes, to, congratulations to you and your team. I think that was absolutely amazing to see see what you achieved. And I think you just you just touched on some points and, and I'll come to both of you. You know, you've mentioned about lead mentors. You, you've you've mentioned about allocating time. What are the tools, the training that, that individuals or organisations need to, to ensure that programmes flourish? Great, should I jump to come to you first? Um, yes. Um, so when you say for programmes to flourish, do you mean mentorship or preceptorship? 
I think I think both. I think I think a lot of, a lot of it would be would be maybe transferable. But if if you if you take take them individually, but then look at them mm-hmm. as as a whole. Yes, not a problem. So for mentorship, um, I would say that the the most important thing is that is that you're pairing the right mentee with the right mentor. There has to be um, that sort of bond or that chemistry between the two and we call that in coaching a bit of a chemistry session so we feel out are these two people compatible for that mentoring relationship first and foremost and I think defining what the mentoring relationship is going to do and what it is not going to do is a, a good starting point there's lots of course providers out there who provide coaching and mentoring qualifications um, out there that's that companies or individuals can access um, all the way from apprenticeships to private organizations all the way up to, to university providers dependent on you know how far you want to go on that that sort of coaching and mentorship journey um, because the, the two skills are absolutely invaluable to, to support people integrating with into employment absolutely in terms of preceptorship, um, so there's a lot of work happening in this sphere at the moment nationally with NHS England. So we have three programmes that have been underway within the last 12 months. We've had the, the National Preceptorship Framework for Midwifery. We've had the National Preceptorship Framework for Nursing. And at the moment, we've got the National Preceptorship Framework for Allied Health Professionals um, under development at the moment. And they are just releasing the HCPC um, standards or principles for preceptorship um, at the moment so there's lots of work there being happened nationally that social care providers can take and glean a lot of that information from there's a lot of frameworks out there that help people to, to structure what that preceptorship period should look like as a as a minimum standard and also as a gold standard as well and alongside that there, there is going to be a credentialing process coming out where organizations can showcase their wonderful preceptorship offering and get some national recognition for that so that's under development at the moment so my, my recommendation for those perception programs is do a lovely Google search and see what is available out there. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. And the best thing is just to get started. These things develop and they evolve over time. And I think providing your initially starting with that support, for that individual that will you know, reap dividends that will give you so much return on investment, just having those protected time, just to say, how are you doing at the moment? What do you need? How well is it going? And allowing that reflective space initially, and things will evolve and develop. Um, it can be quite challenging in social care, because you can be very independent, you might have, you know, staff entering the organisation sporadically. So it's something that's not happening, like a mass recruitment drive that we often see in, in secondary care. But the main thing is just to, to start off small. It will be imperfect, but just allow it to evolve and to develop and change um, because the needs of our of our staff are ever evolving and ever changing. So use the national resources. Most importantly, start gain that support from from those around you to enable you to implement some of the, you know, the, the support or development mechanisms that you want to start. Um, and then communicate that, you know, scope outside that organisation and see what other organisations are doing. You know, Caroline's doing some fantastic work within the social care sphere. And I've 
you know, referred so many people to her and said, go speak to Caroline, see how things are happening. Um, you know, do network with those other providers out there and see what they've got and, you know, really have that community of practice to share those innovations and ideas. That's brilliant. Thank you. And I, I think as well that there, there's a huge part that the social care nurse and advisory councils can play in this as well. Um, so if some ICBs are doing this really well, actually, we can learn from those ICBs and replicate it within social care as well. So so I think there's, there's a huge part of that. Um, Caroline, if I can come back to you, how does this fit in, in with regards to, to the CQC compliance and regulatory expectations? Okay, um, and I'm going to just pick up on a couple of things Rachel said back there, if that's okay. Um, I was nodding away furiously at a lot of that. Um, in terms of CQC, we're, we're seeing the shift in terms of single assessment framework, the, the, the need for more and more evidence, and equally now looking at how we're supporting our staff teams as well as our client base, and about time too. Um, so in terms of CQC requirements, um, if you evidence that you are supporting your staff team, that you have some sort of mentorship programme in place, then fantastic in terms of meeting those requirements for learning and development purposes, for health and wellbeing, um, for general support. And also for, for, for tailoring and, and individualising, um, ensuring care is person-centred because you can do an awful lot of that through a softer sort of a, a softer approach, I suppose, to training using mentorship type opportunities, because we have a bit of a two pronged approach out in the community. So supporting uh, new starters um, or, or those that have been with us some time that, that are just struggling with certain aspects of the role or developing their own skills. For example, like advanced techniques with medications maybe. Um, that that would come into it. So um, it really helps in terms of ensuring that person-centred approach. Um, and I think as well, culture, um, that you've got an open, transparent, but supportive culture. Um, if you embed a mentorship programme of, of, of whatever sort suits your organisation, that will absolutely evidence that. Um, going back to uh, what Rachel said, um, formal training, I'm sure there's an apprenticeship for mentorship out there now. Um, you know, look at that. Um, there are a lot of all different um, training programs available dependent on where you are in the country. And a lot of it's funded, we found to date, um, which is fantastic. And I think um, I just want to stress a couple of points to look at your organisation. You know, it doesn't it's not one size fits all. My programme may not fit with another provider um, and equally theirs not, might not fit with us. So look at your organisation and develop a programme that suits not only your organisation, but your staff team. Um, we develop profiles for our staff team, well, our mentors, sorry. So Rachel said, you know, making sure that the two um, personalities um, suit each other um, is, is pretty critical for any sort of uh, supportive relationship. So we've developed a profile just looking at that individual um, and then people can maybe select which, which mentor they, they would maybe like to work alongside. Um, and talk, talk about it, um, be open, um, talk to your current staff members. As I say, it's not just for new starters and people are a bit like, oh, I don't know what that mentorship's all about. Talk about it. Talk about it in staff meetings, um, have posters up on the wall and talk about it in supervisions, any opportunity you can get. And, and I'll just reiterate something that, that Rachel said, start, just start somewhere. 
Irre irrelevant of where, just start. Thanks, Caroline. That that's brilliant. And and just reflecting back, it was actually in Sussex we we heard a brilliant presentation from student preceptorship, um, and we'll we'll share that along with this podcast as well. It was from students from from Chichester University. So so there was a lot of insight there. So there's a lot of sharing of best practice that we can do, and that was all around social care. So if I can come to you now, Rachel, and ask what are your top tips going forward for providers and employers? Oh, um, my top tips is, first of all, utilise the national resources that are available um, to you. They're all available um, via the NHS England website. Um, so first of all, start there and just see what the requirements are, what does best practice encourage you to do um, from there is you probably need some time to reflect on on what that's advising you and how that then is utilized within your organization with the, the, the resources that you have with the time that you have um, and what are those learners needs are the next stages to identify what those needs are within within the company um, what type of um, new employees are you hiring at the moment is this international recruitment are they newly qualified into practice are you looking at healthcare support workers because you're looking at that group there's also things like the care certificate that can be easily implemented within organizations is nationally best practice and again it's providing that structure support and development for individuals so it doesn't require you who may be a one-man band out there to create all of these resources and all of these innovations when you you know you're you're limited to time and you've got limited resources utilize what's out there scope what the need is within the organization and then the, the next action i would recommend is is to gain support who do you need to get that support from what do those networks look like is it an icb approach is it from a manager is it from you know a community of practice that you're in gain that support and that support will then allow you to get that traction to embedding it and as both caroline and i have said just start start somewhere it doesn't have to be perfect but if there's nothing available then a small impact can have a really massive impact for that individual who's navigating that um, transition into the company. Um, you know, further development could be, you know, review it, see how you can expand it, how you can elaborate on that offering as well. Um, and then see if there's any sort of personal development that you may need to support you in implementing some of these mechanisms. So if you are looking at mentorship or coaching mechanisms within the company, what training is available out there that people will need if they're undertaking these roles? It could be something that you're able to develop yourself and deliver. So think about what that looks like as well, what people need to support the implementation of that program you're supporting as well, and then evaluate it from their perspective as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And, and coming over to you, Caroline, as an award-winning employer, what would your one top tip be? Oh, you're limiting me to one, Zoe. That's yeah. Like, I've written down three. Um, oh, you okay. could go for three. <laughs> no, we, no, Rachel's already covered support, getting that investment and support from whoever you need to in the organisation is critical. And 
being patient with them I'll, I'll add that word in there because not everybody will understand what mentorship's about you might get people turning the nose up they might just feel a bit like well, what's all that about what's the point of that give them time um you know give them materials to read that are easy read format that they don't need to spend hours pouring over look at case studies where it's really worked that you will win them round you absolutely will but you just sometimes need to be a bit patient um and I was going to say, tap into your perceptionship leads. I know I joined a meeting once, uh, Rachel, and I don't know if you were leading it, but I asked a question in, I think it was in a breakout room, and I said, should I be here? <laughs> yeah. Because I was from social care and everybody else was NHS, and you, you sometimes feel like, you know, oh, am I I'm in the wrong place? And, and they were so welcoming and so warm. And I remember somebody saying to me, you absolutely should be here. This is for health and social care. So don't be afraid of that. Tap into your perception leads. I know you, Rachel, have been so welcoming and supportive in terms of us getting going and 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 and, and implementing our mentorship program. That was really helpful because you know initially if you get the door shut on you, it might be a bit like, oh, I've now got to find a way around, but you didn't. Um, and I think just going back to looking at your organisation and developing a program that suits you and your staff team. You'll only know that by talking to them. What is it that they need? What is it that they want? Have you got key people that have got years and years worth of experience? We've all got them in, in our organisations who might just want to take on a little bit of something else and learn something themselves. And going back to one word uh, Rachel used right at the beginning, this can be an incredibly rewarding process for all parties. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to Caroline and Rachel. And thank you, Rachel, for, for supporting social care through this journey. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Zoe. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company. It's free to join and is open to everyone. You don't need to have an outstanding rating to be a member.